This is an interview from the previous format of this show, which was mostly focused on creativity. Out of respect and gratitude for the guest, I've left this in the public feed, and I hope you enjoy it. If you are interested in more of these old format shows, there are over 80 available for cult members over at patreon.com forward slash random badassery. There are also a bunch of other things over there waiting for you. If you're one of the people that love this show, make sure you go over to holyfullproductions.com and check out our home. You can read articles. You can see the weekly link roundup of all the interesting things I run across. You can see drawings. You can see books recommended for the book club. Or if you're like me and you like things simple, you can just have it sent right to your inbox by signing up for the newsletter, which goes out almost every day. And of course, you can help support this show through either monthly subscriptions or generous one-time donations. All at hoifulproductions.com. Especially when you're doing voiceover stuff like voiceover IP stuff like this, you know, my our, my signal's already being condensed somewhat, so. Right, of course. Oh, yeah. And for everybody that's still here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when last time we talked, this is the second, everybody listening, this is the second time Mark and I have tried this and we've had technical issues and we wanted this to sound as as beautiful as possible. We had another one today, but I think Mark's voice sounds good. And if you don't, then you guys can blame me because I made the choice <laughs> to use the built-in computer mic. My bad. My bad. Oh, it's not your bad. It just didn't work. You had the mic. Yeah, all good. You can't always rely. You know, there is no perfect machine. No, that's the way it goes. When we talked last week, though, I had mentioned that I wanted to try that new concept of like asking people to like bring in some sort of hot topic to start with or something that's on their mind. So right. I'm curious what, what's been on your mind recently. Like, let's just jump right into it. Um, yeah. So I went down a couple of different pathways, you know, just brainstorming. I wouldn't consider this a hot topic necessarily, but um, the idea that strikes me more and more lately is mob mentality and, and, and mm-hmm. how how detrimental mob mentality can be. Um, you take otherwise otherwise great people uh, in life that you know individually would be considered good human beings, and you put them in a the group um, of, of of other human beings, and maybe nefarious human beings in that group lead them down a pathway that are that are just that, you know, uh, absolutely negative. And, and then you have these human beings doing things that they otherwise wouldn't do in their, in their life, which is either uh, violent or, or, or degrading, degrading to other human beings at that, that moment. <clears throat> Where it gets tricky is the more I thought about this, it just kept me leading into pathways of other things, right? So mob mentality in the days before the internet used to be what we all think of it as when the definition you know, the phrase was coined it was literally that it was literally when you're on the street in a mob and uh you end up doing things as a group that you normally wouldn't nowadays i feel like there's a lot of um irony and hypocrisy 
and basically just terrible things that go on with maybe it's not vandalism as much but it's vandalism vandalism of the mind or or, or uh things that happen with with certain groups uh with the world wide web the, the internets if you will the social medias where there's a new mob mentality and just found it interesting the more i thought about it uh the word irony came up a lot the word hypocrisy came up a lot um because you end up with these people who would otherwise uh, not be going down these pathways, but instead of doing it out in the mob physically, they're being brainwashed by uh, uh, groups on the internet, or maybe it's on the internet, maybe it's cable television or whatever it is. Uh, and it could be either way, it could be both ways, it could be whatever politics you think of, uh, religion comes to mind. So I'll apologize ahead of time because the more I think about these things, it's hard to focus it. And the reason I'm not, you know, I'm not teaching a course right now in, in, in some college somewhere is because my job would be to focus it to a semester rather than, uh, you know, some of these, some of these topics you can talk about forever. Right. But, but mob mentality kept becoming the theme, um, with these branches of, of, of irony and hypocrisy and people who other people who otherwise wouldn't be, um, nefarious or, or detrimental. So, yeah. You gotta love synchronicity of some sort because <laughs> I'm looking at the notes of things, you know, like um, things I wanted to bring up with you and then things I was like, well, maybe we'll talk about that. And I literally, I just an hour and a half ago finished Doug, Douglas Rushkoff's new book, Team Human. Oh, very cool. And one of the parts that hit me the most. So I've been on this this pretty long, I think I'm on a I think this would be the fifth or sixth book in this tangent that I've gone on to explore um, social media and the internet and how it has affected society. Because it, start, yeah. it all started with, um, I don't know if you've read it, but it's called The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukanoff. I have not, but I've definitely had discussions with friends about it. So Powerful book. Yeah. Um, he actually, ironically, he has something, you know, you said um, good people who do um, things that they normally wouldn't do. He has another right. book called The Righteous Mind that's literally about that. I haven't read yeah. it yet, though. Right. Um, and, you know, and, and it doesn't have to be direct. It, do, it doesn't have to be um, you know, a direct event or a direct incident that we're talking about. You know, we're, not, we're not talking about somebody that's 65 years old leaving their house and going and murdering someone, of course. But, right. But they're all, they're all of a sudden convinced of something um, that... Is either untrue or uh, there's not enough facts to back it up, and so they're going along with it. They're just they're just rolling with it, and yeah. that snowball that snowballs, the snowballs, you know, as we know. Yeah. And we're we're living in these systems that enhance that. Um, in one of the books in this tangent on social media, I read was uh, Jaron Lanier's Ten Arguments to Delete Your Social Media Accounts Right Now, and yeah. he defines these things as bummer systems. You know, it's, it's, it's basically, it's an acronym he created. He says it's silly, but he's like, but I have to have a name for these systems. And it's, it's the idea that um, negative emotions, when you're, when you have systems like, you know, free systems like Twitter and Facebook and Google, um, where you're getting things for free. So you're the product, you know, they're selling you to advertisers. And because of that, they want to amp up things that get, you know, whatever gets the most thumbs up and the most eyes and the most 
all of those things. Well, negative emotions are the cheap ones because sure. we can't look away from something negative. You know, it's built into our biology in the sense that, you know, if you were living in the wild as a human, you wouldn't want to be able to ignore the fire or the lion on the, on the other side of the bush. Well, yeah, I mean, we all know that when you pass by a car wreck, exactly. you, it, you know, I mean, it's just natural. Luckily, I, for myself, I try to keep going for traffic sense, but yeah. And, you know, George Carlin used to always say, let's go look at the bodies, Dave, you know. <laughs> uh, but it's true. I mean, that's that's absolutely true. Um, but, you know, that it, it takes someone to understand that, that that is not what we're striving for, right? I mean, the, the negative is not what we're striving for. Right. Um, but carry on. I think I, think I uh, was digressing there or well, tangential. But... Well, one of the things that Rushkoff said, I actually wrote down one quote, and I I have to use it right now because it totally fits in. But it's it's actually a mishmash of several paragraphs. I just wanted I cut out all the tangential stuff. But he says uh, the European Union. He's talking about how uh, the European Union is kind of dissolving right now. It's, you know, there's this rise of, of nationalism and all of these. It's not just there, but across the world. And he says the European Union was a product of the television environment: open trade, one currency, free free flow of people across boundaries, and the reduction of national identities to cuisine and soccer teams. And, sure. and, and he says that in the paragraph before, he says the reason for this is because, you know, everybody watched the same thing. We heard the same thing. So it affected the way we thought. It brought us to this sense of unity. And then he goes on to say, the transition to a digital media environment is making people less tolerant of the disillusion of boundaries. The yearning for boundaries merges from a digital environment that emphasizes distinction. Everything is discrete. Everything is a choice. Did you send the email or not? There are no in-betweens. The society functioning on these platforms tends towards similarly discrete formulations, like or unlike, black or white, rich or poor, agree or disagree, and here yeah. I would add red or blue, in a self-reinforcing Sim- feedback. Simplified, yeah. He, yeah, he says, basically, he says that we can't help but become binary ourselves because these systems are teaching us to be binary. So, it, like uh, last week when I talked to Lamb, we talked about the idea that you know, there's some, if you're on the left, you're never left enough, and if you're on the right, you're never right enough. There's yeah. because it's a binary, you know. You keep we're pushing towards the outer rims instead of back towards the middle. Right. Exactly. Well, and within that too, it's so much easier for people to. Uh, push themselves further behind a keyboard you know this is old news and you know I'm not reinventing the wheel when i say this but but it is a, a very huge part of it is people behind the keyboard behind the screen uh will say things that they would never say to somebody in person um if they see that same person in public and i, I think that's an important variable because the brainwashing can happen or they want to feel part of the mob. Um, and then behind the screen, there's nothing stopping them from being part of that mob. Whereas when you're in public, especially one-on-one, and you really want to have a conversation with somebody, there is variables that will stop that human being from being part of that mob, right? You know? I mean, you know, that's, that's going to happen. And that's what's brilliant about actual interaction and conversation. But you sit behind the screen and this keyboard and you know, you're the toughest man or woman on the planet. And uh, it's just, 
fuck me. They, you know, who are these people? And uh, what, what have they been through? And where have they traveled? You know, what, what have they done? What have they experienced? No one's going to know that. Uh, if you're talking one-on-one with them, you'll probably be able to gauge that better. You know, if they're lying, you'll gauge that. If they're truthful, you'll gauge that too. But uh, if they're truthful, they're probably going to end up being more human than inhuman. And, you know, their, their, their empathy will probably come out quicker in person, you know? So that, 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 you know, that's part of that. The mob mentality gets shut down one-on-one, you know? Here we go, sorry. Part where he talks about Marshall McLuhan and he says that McLuhan had this theory of figure and ground. And essentially yeah. figure and ground is, is object and context, if you boil it down. Um, and what McLuhan's point was if, so the object, you know, like if I'm looking at a Coke can, that's the object, but what's behind it is the ground. That's the context. And when we, when we focus on binarities and we are binarities, (laughs) we focus on binaries and we're behind these computers that, that, uh, keep that reality, you know, it's walled off from us. We can't see the reality of those people. Absolutely. So we can focus on either, you know, we're looking at the cocaine, we're looking at the object or the figure, or we're looking at the context in the back. But McLuhan's point was you need to have both. You need to understand if the person's a cocaine or the object, you need to understand the person, but you also need to understand not what they said, but also in the context of who they are, in the context sure. of, and, and that's what we're lacking too. You know, especially uh, Twitter is is a perfect example of this. There's no way that in now 280 characters um, that you can get context. You completely lose context of everything. Sure. Yes. And the only way I to mean, get attention is to scream louder. Yeah. If you want that, <laughs> maybe I can't relate to that because I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't scream for attention. Uh, but you know, the idea is also there that let's look at the idea of, who are the people that really want attention on the internet? You know, um, I find that to be very interesting because most likely it's not the people that are confident in their normal lives, uh, with whatever they're doing. Um, does that make sense? I mean, right. You know, let's put it in context of if I have a problem with something on a, that I've heard or read or, or, you know, uh, whatever it is, the first thing I'm, I'm going to do is look into it and read about it and try to figure out what what's actually happening with that context. I'm not going to just lash out. And it's telling uh, uh, the people that do lash out. It's the old uh, squeaky wheel gets the grease, right? right? Because the louder people might be the minority, but the minority is not necessarily the people that uh, will tell uh, the story of what mo- the majority wants or the majority is feeling. So it, it, it's so easy to go down these pathways with, with, with you know, what we're dealing with nowadays. Um, but it, I, like I said, when I prefaced, I, I feel like mob mentality was a term that kept coming up. I'm not saying I'm right with that, but, um, you know, irony, like I said before, uh, you know, people that, people I, that I would never assume to, uh, be on board with something that they were not on board with maybe 10, 20 years ago are now on board with something or people that uh, are on board with a certain human being. Um, you know, obviously 
the, the president that we're talking about here. It's like people that you, people you know that would never normally be on board with somebody like this, whether it was personal life, business, something like that. They've been somehow changed. And the mob mentality via the, the internet is uh, it's kind of done that to them. It's very fascinating. Yeah, there's an infection of of that team dynamic too, where um, tribal. It, yeah, it becomes it enhances that that mob mentality, where it's yeah. uh, if you're not this far to you know whatever side we're talking about, because both sides have been a little psycho lately. Um, sure. If you're not far enough to the side, then you aren't. You know, you, you're a vic- you're a possible victim of that side. Then. You know, sure. um, I'll, t- I'll take, for example, something that's very complex and um, people don't feel comfortable talking about it because it's it's an uncomfortable thing. But the whole situation with Roseanne Barr, um, sure. what she said, uh, there's there's been both sides. You know, some people said that's not what she meant. Some people said, yeah, she is a racist. You know, it's gone both and forth. I don't know. I've never met her. But what I do yeah. know yeah. is that she's mentally ill and she's been yeah. mentally ill since she was in her like either teens or early 20s. She got hit by a car and severe had a severe head injury, and she's had psychotic breaks her whole professional career. So now we're looking at this person and we're you know chasing after this person, but then at the same time there's there's the complexity of she's mentally ill. So yeah. how how do we you know as a, we we get on this train where we judge this person, but then it's like if you look at it from a, dis, a different perspective, we're kind of kicking a sick person while they're down. True. It's complex. Uh, it's, it's it's very it's very complex, and the the difficulty of uh, of mental illness is will all, will always be there because wh- where do you draw the line, right? I mean, I don't want to go. I'll, I'll stay on this topic with her for, for the moment. But mental illness for me takes on other thing when it comes to you know if you're an extremely religious person. If you if you're an extremely extremely religious person and you think that there's a God somewhere telling you to kill people. At what point are you uh, mentally ill or just extremely religious, right? And so I'll pose that, but I'll go back to Roseanne Barr for a moment because that's just an example of there really isn't a way to define mental illness and borders. Right. We know we know what is mentally ill, right? It's going to be a spectrum, just like we talk about autism, right. which is the way we should, right? So. So someone's mildly mentally ill, they're medium, they're extreme. You see, I'm getting that. And then within society, we also have these different categories of it. And we have ways of covering it up too, where you, you may not know somebody's mentally ill because they're just that person. You know, they're, they're, maybe there's something covering that. Right. With Roseanne Barr, I'm not going to speak on what, what she tweeted because... Yeah, of course. To, to, be, to be honest, I can't... Well, not that I care, I just can't remember exactly what it was. I remember it was deeply insensitive and definitely racist, but I don't know enough about the whole thing to to have a, an opinion on it. Right. I know it was somebody I would never say in my life because I don't have that in me. Like I don't I don't look at people that way. Right. But um but I do know that yeah, she definitely ruined your career by doing that. Yep. And, you know, I don't agree with ruining someone's career for one tweet but that's the world we live in now so and that's and that's an extreme (laughs) example people i mean we'll say that that 
regardless of what anybody out there believes, because I know there are people from all ends of the political spectrum that listen to this show, which I'm totally stoked with. Um, sure. But regardless of, of what people feel about her, um, that's a more extreme example because it's you know, right. we're dealing with something. If it was racism, if that's what she intended, that's racism is a pretty strong thing. But then you of take take people yeah. who who say smaller things that are you know number one that have less followers or something like um I can't remember the girl's name. I don't know if you remember this. It was several years ago. There was this girl. Um, this is racism too, actually. But it's uh, it was this girl who was getting on a plane. And she said something. She was going to Africa. She was going to Africa to like work with children. And she said something like, "On my on my plane, getting on the plane to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Ha ha. Just kidding. I'm white." And oh, Jesus Christ. And yeah. by the time she got off the, so while she's on the plane, that tweet just spread across the internet like a virus. Yeah. And she she had 170 followers. So. Uh, you could pretty much surmise that she knew all of those people probably. Right. Um, Cause that's, yeah. that's a reasonable size. And from what I know is that she was known for just making snarky comments and being a sar- sarcastic all the time. Um, and her, like, if you look at it from the point of view, she's saying it, she's like, I was making a joke about, you know, like. There is no joke there. There is no joke there. But that's, right? but that's, right. the thing, <laughs> though. how do we know? You know what I mean? That's, that's a, how are we responsible for, at what point do we become responsible for whether a joke is good or bad joke? You know what I mean? Like, what yeah, if she no, I agree. A joke I mean, we, we, you and I, you, you and I probably love amazing comedians who push the envelope of what is offensive, what isn't. I, I, I yes. personally, I personally believe in not being offended. I, I don't believe in right. being offended. Um, I really do. But that doesn't take away from someone being racist in the sense that First of all, the conversation is so deep, right? But so she's basically implying that if you're a white person, you can't get AIDS. So let's stop right there. Full stop. Incorrect, right? Uh, Let's take it at face value. Incorrect. uh, Implying that only if you are African or African-American or, you know, that's where the whole idea of race to me gets ridiculous because we're talking about the pigment of somebody's skin, right? Right. Um, scientifically, how the hell are we going to say that you can get AIDS or not because of the pigment of your skin? So there's all sorts of things wrong with it. But without being offended, it doesn't offend me. I I know I have definitely African-American or African friends who would not be offended. They would just laugh at it. Like, we would laugh at it right, with right. ignorant. It's they being do. ignorant. It's, it's, it's an ignorant joke. Um, now, depending on where it's coming from and you know, the context of it, of course you, someone could say it's just a joke. But is that something that you put out into the public in a public, uh, you know, sphere? I, I, I wouldn't say so, right? But then here's the uh, question. Would you consider somebody sending something to 170 people putting it out into the public sphere? That's where, the, that's where I mean, there's so much ambiguity in these stories. That's why I love them. Because you and, are, you and I are talking about it right now. So, of course, it's public. So well, it's it got not, made public. Right. Once but it it's got not, shared. So that's where we're getting back to the mob mentality nowadays. It's not just 170 people anymore. It's in public. Right. right. And, and the reason I bring that one up, too, is because I think that, you know, regardless of what she thought, what she believed, whatever there, people say bad things they, all the time. All the time. You go on the internet. I, I go on YouTube right now and find 
things probably about a thousand times worse than that in probably four seconds. Um, of course. It's the doesn't thing, make hers, you know, any less. I hate, I hate all that. I hate the hate. <laughs> it sounds cheesy, but all of that is kind of, you know, goes back to the beginning of the conversation. It's easy, It's so easy for these people to sit there and, and, and do that. Uh, walk. I want them to walk into a room full of, uh, you know, articulate and adults and, and, and have a conversation with them. Right. Before they make these statements, because these people are most likely pieces of shit, you know, that are making the, the, the very intense, ignorant comments, you know, that's, you know, it's worthless. Well, where worthless. that mob mentality even comes in, where this story gets even fucking weirder for me, though, is. So we see it there, but then if you watch the response to it, we see mob mentality, too, in the response yep. to it. These people were tweeting um, death threats to her. Um, she's right. on the plane, so they're putting all this stuff up knowing she's not going to see this stuff so she gets off the plane. Death threats, right. um, I hope this bitch gets fired. Um, and she ended up losing her job before the plane landed um, because yeah. of this uproar. So yeah. to me, I'm like, okay, regardless of what her intention was, what I see is when somebody does something bad, how we respond as a society defines a society. Sure. but, but when we but, respond with cruelty, we're cruel. Let's go back to her intention, though. Uh, it- you just said it. What is your intention when you say something? Yes. That's the main question, right? That. What is your intention? Imagine when you and I sit down to tweet about something, which I rarely do, I'll be honest. I use Twitter for news, to be honest. Right. But, I mean, what what could you possibly get out of that that's going to be positive? And, and when you look into what, you know, you and I are friends, so be it, but I happen to know you and we're talking tonight, but I know that you and I would not even go near that. Why would you even have a motivation that's near that? You know? Right. So you, ha- you have to look at that too. And you have to, um, you know, when we look at the empathy, sympathy part of it or the backlash part of it, I mean, that, that's, I think it's fair that she got fucked with after that. That's fair. Um, but, I'm not sure I believe that. Okay. But she had a tweet that had 140 characters should not change, should not ruin your life, regardless of what you say. Okay. Because it goes back to that binary thing. You know, it's, it's like what she said, I mean, we're, you and I are getting into it right now. We're binarying what she said. Is it good or bad? Maybe, maybe, you know, is it good or bad? Was her intention good or bad? Maybe it wasn't either. I, I, I would see nothing positive in what she said. But we don't know her. You know, like uh, if I go back to when I, I don't know how old she was. I think she was in her 20s. Go back to when I was in my 20s. I made probably some jokes that I just said were funny, that I thought were funny, that I didn't even mean what I was saying. Okay. If I listened to them now, I would be embarrassed. Okay. You know, uh, for, for example, I think that in the last 20 years, um, as men, we've learned a lot about women and how to think about women. I, I think even the most evolved people 20 years ago had more sexism in them than they do now. Um, so if you go back, yeah, there's probably, or I was maybe even didn't even make jokes. Maybe I was just present for some really sexist conversations, which I definitely was. Okay. But that doesn't mean that defines that person and that that gives us the right sure. to destroy them. Because when we think that we have the right to do that, we become the thing that we're destroying. I would agree with you. 
But it also goes back to the idea that why does somebody think that that should be a public comment to begin with? The comment that she made. Why do we have the right to decide what she thinks should be public or not, though? I mean, let's go to free speech with that. Should should people who think awful things be able to say them in public? I'll take that back. She has the right, of course. But she also, with that right, should be able to be willing to uh, have the backlash. Sure, but a reasonable backlash, I think. That's that's okay. that's the yeah. thing that I... This is where I think cruelty comes in. This is why I bring this one up. Um, it. It's not about whether backlash should happen, because I do agree. It, it's just if you're an asshole, you're going to get something back at you. Things like that happen. That's the way things work in the world. And that's sure. a good thing. You know, feedback is a good thing. That's where, that's where morality comes from originally. You know, before we needed it for religion or whatever, you did this because you didn't want this to come at you. You know, it's that, that basic feedback. But at what point do we blow something out of proportion and do something just to be cruel, where it's no longer reasonable? Now it's, I'm going to crush this person and destroy them because I Mom can. Mentality. Yeah, because I'm behind a keyboard and all I have to do is retweet this and say, look at what this bitch said. Right. I agree. Fire her or, you know, whatever. You know, there's, there's a, another example too. There's this girl... This is, by the way, this is all um, stuff I read about in, I should give him credit, John Ronson's book, So You've Been Publicly Shamed, which is a powerful, powerful book. Um, But there was a girl who, number one, didn't have a social media account at all. Her and her friend were just kind of like that. They're a little bit, you know, like, um, this is not his words, but I would say they're a little bit of that um, teenage punk rock mentality, like, you know, like... uh, you see a sign that says no smoking, take a picture of me smoking a cigarette in front of it, you know, like that. Right. Yeah. I'm giving a finger to authority thing, but you know, just kind of lighthearted. Um, uh, you know, you remember being like that. I'm sure we all were at uh, some point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, so they went to Arlington, I believe it was Arlington and there's a picture and it says, um, quiet and respect. So it says quiet and respect. So she pretends like she's screaming and she's flipping off the sign. So it says quiet. She looks like she's being loud. It says respect. She looks like she's disrespecting it. And yeah, that, that goes back to irony. And so that her friend that was with her had the social media account, right? Yeah. And her friend said, do you mind if I post this? And she's like, yeah, go ahead, whatever. You know, like I said, she didn't have her own account. And it blew up and people were just, how dare you disrespect the soldiers and, the, you know, the, the wars and all this stuff. And this this one's interesting because it's the other end of the political spectrum. These people destroyed her. She was a woman who worked with, or a girl who worked with autistic children, and she she was she couldn't get a job forever. They yeah. just completely destroyed her life. Yeah, yeah. And I think those right. both of those cases are kind of the same. You know, regardless of what the person's intent is, the response that comes back is just it's cruelty for fun, like it's a sport. Tenfold, yeah. And I think it is a sport for a lot of people. But it is irony because on, on, on multiple levels, right? Because she's able to have that freedom of speech because of those soldiers who died and who are now buried at Arlington, right? Right. So she's able to have that, but she's disrespecting the very people that gave her that right. Right. And, and then another layer is the people having the freedom of speech to tell her to fuck off. Right. Right? So... <laughs> It's so talk crazy about, how, how many layers that shit has. Yeah, talk about complex. Um, I, I would say, you know, maybe I'm biased, but I would say 
if you disrespect dead soldiers, you're kind of a fucking asshole. Uh, that's my opinion on a bottom basis, like right. on a baseline. You know, don't ever disrespect the dead, especially when you have the freedom to go there and do that. Right. Uh, that being said, you're also correct. Her life being ruined is a that's more of a subject of you know what we're getting into with the mob mentality versus physical back in the day versus digital and that's the you know mob mentality physical versus digital is the main crux of the conversation right because right. you can you can sit behind that screen and destroy people but it, but it's so fucking complex and people uh, hate complexity now well yeah they, they yeah they want to simplify everything you know uh there's there's a a quote, I don't remember if it was Hitler or about Hitler, but he said that uh, complexity was the enemy. Nuance was the enemy. Simplify yeah. everything. Yeah. Well, and, hey, 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 Chad, just stop thinking, right? Yeah, don't use your brain. <laughs> you know, like, or, or don't have a, don't have a, a complex, uh, difficult conversation, you know, like stuff that we're getting into right now because, you know, yeah. it, it'll poison you. Exactly, yeah. Just don't, don't worry about it. Uh, what was, what was the, the quote from uh, Bill Hicks? He said to his father, some people believe that they're Napoleon. And that's fine, but beliefs aren't, they're neat. You can cherish them, just don't share them like they're the truth. Right. Yeah, indeed. And that man was ahead of his time. Uh, Bill Hicks is one of my favorites. Dude, one of my favorites. When's the last time you watched one of his stand-ups? Well, I just saw, I just watched that little short documentary on Netflix. Me too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that, that that was amazing because I, I truly didn't know about his personal life. Yeah. Um, I have to be honest, I felt some similarities where it was like, you know, I tour a lot as a musician. And, um, but when I come home, I'm definitely all about my family. And, you know, his brother kept talking about how there, were, there was rumors about, it, you know, Bill and there's rumors about him, this and that. But when Bill came home, off the tour, he would be there for the holidays. He'd be there for his nephews and nieces. He was a family dude. Um, and I feel similar like that. You know, I, I know my life is different because I travel a lot. And I, you know, I, you know, at 40 years old, I've, I've uh, decided not to have children, at least to this point. You know? But my, my point is, is that, yeah, I get it. You know, it's, it's, you can be, uh, creative and avant-garde and fucking whatever you want to call it, but you never will not love your family. And uh, to use the double negative, you you never are going to leave your family if everything's in, in its right place. You know uh, that that to me stuck out the most is that whenever when whenever Bill was free, he would go home and he would see his folks and see his brother and see his nephews and nieces. That was cool. That was really cool. Well, I, I think really, really dug that. When I think of touring musicians and touring comedians, I always think about um, what somebody told me about soldiers, that when they go to war, the, the, yeah. ones, the ones who don't have anybody to write back to, the ones who don't have any home to write to, they don't make it. You know, they lose their minds. Um, I think yeah. it was in, in context of Vietnam in particular. There's, there's, there has to be something to ground you. And I look at musicians and, and comedians, and you think about the comedians who died young or whatever, they didn't, yeah, they didn't seem like they had a home base. Like, they didn't have a people. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, it's tough to say, right? It's really tough to say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Yeah, there's no, there's no, you know, maybe there's stats on that, but yeah, no, I hear you on that. There is, I always call it the, the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? Yeah. Uh, that's that for me. That's uh, an analogy, which is friends, family, uh, the goals we have. They all, they're all kind of wrapped up into one little bundle for me. Um, if you don't have that, then, then yeah, you definitely lose, you lose your way, you know? Uh, well, you were talking sure. about how you don't use social media a lot. So most people do. That's how they're using to communicate to you know remote family and friends. We'll say um, at, when you're touring, if you're if you're not really if you're just using social media for news, are you? What do you? What do you how are you communicating? No, you're just talking I, on I, the phone. I, no, I think I, I think I was referring to Twitter. Oh, just so, Twitter. Yeah, Twitter. I use for news. Okay. Uh, no, I, I use social media. But I, I've 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 narrowed narrowed it down to mainly just for my music. Uh, every once in a while, photographs that I liked that I took, whatever. Uh, the bottom line is I don't make it personal. No, nothing I post is personal ever. Okay. Um, that's the main thing for me. That's probably the best way to be. <laughs> that's seen, what I'm yeah. doing. <laughs> I've I've seen too many people make social media personal. It, it just it's just not a pretty picture. No, and I also just don't feel like it's the right way to go. Uh, I'm not judging. You know, I'm not going to judge anyone that uses it for personal matters. But, um, yeah, I just keep it. I, I want to keep it to what I enjoy in life, you know, whether it's travel, uh, music, photograph I took, uh, maybe saying hello to a friend that I miss, you know, things like that. You know, I... I I, I, there's no need for me to put my personal life into that that construct because you know going back to the beginning of the whole podcast it's like well who are these people that are going to be reading this and uh, trust me from all the posts that are made in my life or especially band posts normally the comments are great but uh, you get you get comments all the time that are just from left field, it's just what are you talking about, man? <laughs> what are you What are you getting at? You know, like we'll we'll, we'll uh, release our tour dates, right? And the, the running joke is that if there's a certain city that uh, we're not playing in, you'll get some backlash from a, a certain individual saying, "So you're not playing? Uh, so why aren't you playing? Uh, you know, Grand Rapids, Michigan?" You're like, I don't know. I don't know why we're not playing. I'm sorry. I would love, no, and I, like, you know, we truly mean it. Like, right. Of course. I, I would love to play Grand Rapids, Michigan. And I'm using that as an example, of course. Right. But the idea is that as if we, as if we just forgot about them. And, you or know, you checked them off the list. No, you're like, screw them. You know, the booking <laughs> agent, or maybe we're opening for a bigger band. The bigger band has already booked the tour and we're just jumping on it. We, we don't, we don't control overall. Right. You know, we're just gonna go play. We have to play, you know. But they will message you as if you like hurt their puppy, you know. <laughs> well, I think that's a strange thing too that comes from um, internet world too, in the sense yeah. that, that there's this growing sense of entitlement. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and not that that's a severe case of it, but that's a small, small sense. Like, why aren't well, you absolutely. coming to me? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. Amazon mentality. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I get what I want when I want it. And if I can't, I'm angry. And 
And I'm not putting this on other people. I've seen it in myself. It's actually my my other show that I do with Lamb Random Badassery. We try to we give ourselves like a little week challenge every week. This week, nice. my challenge was not to order anything from Amazon. There you go. I wanted to remember what it was like to like want something and have to either wait to get it or to figure okay. out, you know, like I, I needed a watch. Go walk, go walk into a mom and pop shop and buy it. Yeah. It, it, like I, want, I needed a watch. I spent all this time. This would be a, a local lament. So anybody that's not local, sorry. I couldn't find a local, at least not on the internet, a local watch shop. You know, that's like it was a mom and pop. So I, I said, you know, I'll go to Target and find Target had like four watches. <laughs> I went to uh, CVS and, and then finally at the end, I'm like, I guess I'll just have to order it from Amazon after this week. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a, but it is that I felt that, um, that sting of like, yeah. oh, I can't get this now. And that's, yeah. that's an ugly thing too. Of course. Yeah. I felt it too. Uh, we we had a big target uh, built right up right by my place, probably about three four years ago. And I told myself before the target was finished, like I'm not gonna go there. I'm not gonna go there. And the first time I walked in, I was like, I can get everything here. <laughs> you know, it's it's two stories. It's like one of those megas. You know, it's you get groceries. You, uh, you can buy a chainsaw and some baby food at the same time. <laughs> I don't have a baby, but you know what I mean. Like, just in case you, you wanted some, everything, everything. Yeah, <laughs> looking at yourself, going, "God damn, Mark, what am I doing here?" It's like WalMarts. You know, WalMarts are the same. I refuse to go in them just because they're such an awful company. But yeah. I know that sometimes when I'm looking for something, I'm like, "Yeah, they probably have that at Walmart." <laughs> yeah, and, and for me, when I'm on the road, WalMarts are like a, it's like a oasis. Oh it's yeah, a, you don't have a choice in some places. I'm sure. The beacon in the night, you know. Yeah, I I know that uh, truck drivers rely on WalMarts because you can sleep in the parking lot. Yeah, you need some socks, you need some underwear, you need some double uh, A batteries, you know. Hey, yeah. Walmart condoms and a party hat. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't uh, <laughs> while we're talking about tour for a second, I'm curious because yeah. you know you've been touring for a while, like two decades. I would say, right? Yeah. How has touring changed? You know, with the way streaming music has changed a lot of things, but how has touring changed? How's it changed? Well, or has uh, it? well, two ways. I said that the, the first way is obvious is that I'm older and I'm more experienced and um, I love it. Uh, I know what I'm doing. I know exactly what to do every time. That's the first obvious one. Second one is also obvious, I would say. <laughs> most of us actually question how it was happened, how it would happen before is that with smartphones, uh, with iPads, with laptops, uh, everything's prepped before. Everything's so kind of packaged and ready to go. Uh, back in the day, we used to have a stop at pay phones or the early days of cell phones. You know, we'd call people and maybe it would work, maybe it wouldn't. So those two right there off the bat are, are immediate for me. Um, when I was younger, I didn't know really what I was doing. You know, <laughs> you just kind of go out blindly. Um, and then more importantly, you you know, we all have smartphones. So you can call anybody, uh, the contact you need at the club, the promoter, the hotel you're staying at. Um, if you break down, you have 
a self, somebody has a cell phone that they can use. Uh, so that's probably the most obvious change, right? You can always get in contact with somebody. Um, of course, granted, if there's service or not, but you know, th those two. But I, I always have felt more uh, at home on the road. And, you know, of course, with the, a side of the grass is always greener, but I've always enjoyed the road immensely. It's, it's kind of like one of those feelings where I, I feel like I'm doing what I should be doing, you know, uh, serving a purpose, if you will. <laughs> you know, when I'm home, it's always, uh, you know, back to the day job and writing music. And that's great as well. But uh, I think when I'm on the road, I feel like I, I feel useful when I'm on the road to make a long story short. Do you think that, so from my perception, obviously not being a touring musician, it seems like streaming music has kind of flipped the tour model on its head. Um, it seemed like before, you know, you would put out an album and then you would tour to sell the album. Now it yeah. seems like you put out music to sell the tour that you're going to do. Yes, you're exactly right. Is that weird? Um, it's not weird only because I think we've all accepted it. Um, it, 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 it was weird. I, I think, I think it was weird when it first started happening, but this part, this first started happening probably back in what, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Yeah. At least right. The slow progress into that. So no, now it's not weird. Now, now it feels normal because I've been doing it for a while, but, um, no, you have to roll with what you, what you have to roll with, right? Um, I, I, I feel I feel fortunate to do what I do. And I also feel fortunate that, that you know, streaming music has also let me discover bands I never thought I would ever discover. So there, there's so many positives to it as well, you know? People are discovering us, you know, either, either of my two projects people are discovering dredge or black map uh, every day because of that too. So I will feel forced for that and not be bitter ever about that. You know? Has that reversal changed the dynamic of touring in any way, or just once that adjusting period happened, everything's the way it was. You just, that one thing's what changed. Oh, it definitely changed things in the sense of budget money. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So uh, we have to lower our overhead uh, as much as we can and you know depending on what band you're in that's fine or not fine um, I know I haven't been touring with Dredge for a while now but even Dredge so the last time Dredge toured was 2014 uh, but even towards the end there the last couple of years we found a way to um, tour with as much you know, lowest overhead we could you know so I, I have no guitar tech. I'm taking everything myself. Basically, we just go out with a uh, tour manager, you know. And then with Black Map, similar idea. We even, we go out, just the three of us. You know, it's a trio. And we just go out with three of us. And we each take on responsibilities within that, you know, within the band to make that tour work. So, yes, that we do feel that. But, uh, they, you know, if you, if you come back home and you have some, some money in your pocket and you made fans... And it's great. When you when you look back at like the idea of touring with techs and all that stuff, do you think that for um, bands, you know, like medium, small to medium sized bands, do you think that that 
was conflated before. You know, people were taking text when they didn't need it. Yes. Because it was industry standard. Yes. Yeah. And I, I remember that feeling. I remember that feeling of basically people telling me what you're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And not in a militant way, of course, but the idea that um, this is just how we roll. And so you'd end up on the road with like nine people in your crew, you know? And then once you go back to doing it very low pro and very DIY, you think to yourself, I never had to have those people on the road. <laughs> right. Because you're so young, you're like 21, 22 years old. You're like, we're going we're gonna to hire you guitar tech. We're going to hire Dino a drum tech. And, and don't get me wrong, it's, it's really nice when you're headlining, once you get to a certain level. I know once we got to the level, Catch the Arms, we were you know, selling out you know, pretty good-sized venues, whatever, you know, in the, for us <laughs> in a modest manner. But it does help because you can have your relaxation. And you know you're going to walk on stage and play an hour and a half or maybe more, and you know your tech has your back. Of course, it's, that's valuable, but when you go back to doing it DIY, you learn that you, you can. It's not, it's not the end of the world, you know? Um, so yes, it, it, it's kind of one of those, you catch yourself where you fell for the industry standard, if you will. You know? Do you think some, to some degree, somebody in the industry kind of made that the standard because I don't know, better words, better words to say it, but the indentured servitude of it, you know, like let's put them more in debt. No, no, I I don't think that at all. What what I, what I think is that, uh, what I would know is that, uh, the music industry used to be, you know, fucking gold pot, right? Right. The music industry used to have so much money to throw around everywhere. Um, that it was, it wasn't even a question. Like if we have five to a thousand dollars a week to pay a tech, or two thousand dollars a week to pay to a manager, whatever the going rate is, you know, that wasn't a that wasn't an issue at all. You know, it, money was just flowing, so it was not a um, yeah, it was it was not some uh, contrived idea or conspiracy, if you will. It was basically just like. We have so much money that we can do this and the band's still going to make money. Label's still going to make money. The managers are still going to make money. Uh, and then the, all of that changed, right? So <laughs> then people have to look at, people like ourselves have to look at what we you know, could do without. I remember when a lot of this stuff was just beginning and uh, there was an interview with Amanda Palmer and she said something along the lines of musicians have just have to learn. Uh, when I say all of this, I mean streaming music. Um, yeah. Musicians just have to learn to be blue collar. And I thought that was so prophetic because now you look at it, especially in the context of what we're talking about, that's come true. That, that musicians, yeah. most musicians are blue collar. They have to go out there and just do the work. Yeah, absolutely. Instead uh, of being rich and famous, you're aiming for middle class. True, yeah. Or even if you're rich and famous, if you still want to make a profit on your tour, you still can, <laughs> no, I mean this though. I mean, really? you, still can, you still can come home rich and famous, but if you want to make a profit, uh, you have to do a blue collar. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Cut all the fat. Uh, I, I would be remiss if, while we're in the area of music. You know, you, when you and I talked, I said I didn't want this topic 
I mean, our, this whole interview to revolve just around music, but I'd be remiss not to talk about some music. Love it. Yeah, and cool. anybody that's a Dredge fan right now is probably, especially after hearing Drew's episode, probably wants to know more. What's going on? What's recording? How's it going? Uh, ma- mainly just writing right now. Right. Uh, not recording. Yeah, we're writing and compiling, and uh, you know, it's it's taking some time, but we're happy with the progress. Um, the music is all over the place in, in terms of style, which I'm extremely happy with. You know, um, a lot of a lot of a lot of it's going back to what we started out with. Uh, we're writing with just basics, you know, guitar, bass, drums, vocals. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know about timeline, but uh, I know it's going to happen at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, we're all stoked, and we're all getting along really well as if we didn't before, but <laughs> no, there's a, there's a really good rapport happening. You know, there's a really good, really great rapport going on with the, the whole camp. So um, that's about as much as I can say about that. You know? I imagine going back to basics on writing, like you're saying, has got to be, it's got to be number one, a good feeling because it's been a long time. Um, but then also because it seems like it would be a drastic um, departure from the process of chuckles, which was very different well, yeah. for you guys. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but to be honest with you, the the way that Chuckles turned out actually has it's not as much to do with the process of writing for us. That had to do more with the production part, right? Uh, which is the first time ever, and probably the last time ever that we were not in charge of the production. Does that make sense? So, right. Uh, even though we had producers for all the other albums, they were all co-produced. You know, we were sitting in there with them. Um, Chuckles was the first time ever that we gave up uh, production to somebody else completely. And that's how it turned out, you know, and in my opinion, did not turn out the way I would like it. Um, But that's what you get, I guess, when you give up production. And sometimes, you know, uh, I was talking about this with somebody just a few days ago, you know, people, people look at, at albums as these, you know, like this is, this is exactly what's going to be when we're done. You know, they don't see the process of it. And when you do yep. something experimental, sometimes it doesn't turn out exactly the direction you thought it would, but that's the nature of experiment. That's sure. what makes you a stronger band, I think. Sure. That you're willing yeah. to do those things. Yeah. I mean, uh, the timing wasn't the best because I feel like we were, you know, I, I've told people this before, but we wouldn't have made a record then. You know what I mean? I think the fact that, I think that Dan the Automator lit a fire under our ass to make a record to begin with means that we re- we released music when we probably wouldn't have to begin with so it's kind of one of those give and takes where who knows how long it would have been for another dread record and, and and the fact that he hit us up and was like i want to do this the fact that it's not quite turn out the way we wanted to is one thing but now we're making a record the way we want to we're, we're writing music the way we want to um you know I, it, it, it's hard you can't go back and just change time you can't, you can't you can't go back and just say okay if dan the automator did not hit us up what would we have done you know so it, it is what it is and uh i still like songs i just don't like the production of the song you know so was that, that a was, weird process for you as a guitar player considering that's not really a guitar heavy album it's funny because the process was not. I actually did a lot of great guitar work with um, 
So the assistant engineer, um, who I'm going to stretch for his name, um, Tim Carter, who actually who actually ends up he's a guitar player for uh, he's a guitar player in a band called uh, Castabian now. I and like that band. Yeah, great great dude. We get along immensely. So the main point is this: I actually recorded a lot of great guitar for the record. The idea is that Dan just didn't put it in. You know what I mean? So, so it's not that it's not that the guitars weren't there. Right. They just weren't included. So the, for uh, you, the process was the same. It's just the outcome was totally different. Exactly. That's got to be a trip. And I wouldn't say the process was the same. The process was a bit different, of course. But but well, you were contributing to every song. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And and it's about the mix, you know. Um, you know, if, if 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 you gave somebody the tracks on that of that album, and told somebody else to mix it, it would be a completely different feeling, completely different album. You you could mix that album and make it sound like Dread Driver. Yeah, I'm sure you've got all the stuff there. You got all the stems for everything, right? Yeah. Well, somebody does. <laughs> <laughs> somebody somewhere. So somebody when you guys somewhere. when you guys play those live, are you going to play different mixes of them, or are you just not going to play them? Well, we've done it. We 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 went on tour in 2011, and we played uh, all a lot of those songs. I would say we played uh, four or five of those songs live, and you know we had Ben Flanagan on rhythm guitar and backup vocals, and uh, they were way more way more dredge. You know, they guitar heavy, loud. You know, two vocalists. You know, it, it was they sounded more like a how they should sound right and right yeah without you know the lack of better terms there it's it's the, that's that's closer to how we envision them and uh you know, what are you gonna do well, yeah, I, I imagine it was a drastic departure giving up that control because of what drew had told me that you know you guys are extremely democratic when you're writing songs you know i asked him one point i said you know what happens if one person wants to do one thing and the other per- person wants to do the other he's like we just do both we audition both, yeah. <laughs> That's a great process. I mean, you brought up Ben too. How does that compare to Black Map, though? Is that process the same? Different? Yeah, no, it's the same. Yeah, it's just three of us in Black Map, but it's absolutely democratic. And uh, yeah, totally the same. Like we'll have ideas. We'll, we'll try all three, all two, whatever it is. If there's if there's differing, record them. You know, and it, it's always easier to sit back and listen and uh, try to know. Or try to gauge if if that's the the way you want to go. You know? Did you get weird responses with the timing of you know like Dredge put out Chuckles and then that's it, and so everybody's like, oh, they're done. And then you started Black Map, so they're like, yes, it's definitely done. He has another he has another band. Did you get that kind of response? Um, no. I mean, I, I had a few people say a couple things, but I was good about responding. Um, you know, my main response was always just, hey, there are many people out there that have multiple projects. That's all it is, you know? And I, I don't call any of them side projects. Obviously, George, you know, I started that with the boys, the same four dudes since, you know, I was, I, I we all were young. Um, so, yeah, you could say that's a main project. But, no, I, I, there, there was a, with the exception of a few people that caught me attitude, I, I was pretty quick to put them in their place you know like look think about all your favorite musicians in the world how many of them have more than one project look it up 
<laughs> especially it's, through history, especially yeah, after I mean, the sixties. It's pretty simple. It's like, come on, you know, we're all we all want to stay busy and stay creative, you know. Um, so, if anyone had any attitude towards attitude towards me, I'd just easily shut down. I think people maybe that's maybe one of the um, advantages also of streaming music is more people are aware of different projects. Yeah. You know, yeah. before it was kind of in, in a beautiful way and maybe in a, in a scary way too, we were kind of all a little blind and we were in our little, in a little bubbles musically. And sure. now, you know, like if you're, if you're a Bright Eyes fan, you know that, you know, Connor has like six or seven different bands slash projects sure. slash yeah, names yeah. and you know them all and you listen to all of them and it's, it's a different thing. Sure. I imagine though that was even though you know you love the boys and dredge, I imagine that was fun to do something different and just like okay, I'm you know, it's like playing with toys or you know, a a puzzle. You put the puzzle together and then <laughs> take you don't put it back in with the pieces all put together. You know, you take it back apart so that when you pull it out, you have the challenge all over again. Yeah. Yeah, I mean I I will say this. Um the first yeah first forming black map the biggest thing for me was i just stopped thinking um i think i got i got to a point with dredge where i was trying to think too much um and especially after the last record where i thought a lot and then my guitar was not really included a lot uh it was kind of awesome but anyway uh yeah of course frustrating but no it, it was i went back to basics with black map and that felt reinvigorating um it felt absolutely refreshing you know um but at the same time you know now it's been five years and i love that when, when dredge go back in the recording studio to, to write together uh last year um the exact same thing happened again right it felt good to go back to dredge mentality and i've been able to keep that mentality you know it's always going to be me playing guitar but I, I do have two different places in my mind for each project. That makes sense. I mean, I have totally, you know, just like you would with a film, like two different films or two different art projects or whatever it is. You know, I, I it doesn't mean there's not going to be crossover. Of course, there will be crossover, but you know, I have a place I go to with each band that I, you know, I find refreshing when I get to them. You know? So, yeah. I mean, that's what I always respected about David Bowie. Was he, he instilled like that mentality in me where it was like, you know, not only were his albums so drastically different and, you know, jumping, you know, musicians and bringing Stevie Ray Vaughan and then he's bringing in um, Robert Fripp. Shutter Khan. Yeah. But then also, you know, like, uh, okay, I'm I'm not a musician right now. I'm an actor. And then I'm not an actor. I'm a painter. Um, I love that mentality because it kind of like what, you know, what, is insinuated too is what you learned um, going back to Black Map. In some way, that's you know that's gonna that's gonna influence when you go when you're back with Dredge. So you know, like leaving, true. it took you yeah. somewhere that will bring something back to that as well. Indeed, absolutely, yeah, yeah. There's a. Are, um, are you familiar with Colin Wilson, author Colin Wilson? I'm not. He wrote this book called The Outsider, and it's about uh, the purpose of the outsider, in specifically in. Um, literary and art culture, and one of one of his ideas was that um, the the outsider is necessary to society. 
in the sense that um, there has to be someone who stands outside from what the what everybody else is doing because they're the person that leaves and learns something that the people that you know for example in village context everybody stays in the village the guy who leaves the village and wanders around in the desert for you know like five five six months and then comes back he brings back vital information um right and, and doing other projects and things like that is is like a chance to be an outsider to take right. those things and bring them back well, that's huge. I was thinking about the outsider because the in the context of of comedians, you know, because I I had Bill Hicks in my head. I knew you were a Bill Hicks fan. Um, I was thinking, you know, that idea of like that's kind of what stand up comedians are, right? Except uh, rather than going out into the bush and getting things, they're the ones that push the borders. They're the one that push the lines. You know, yep. How far yep. can I go? Right. Exactly. And. Uh, well, I mean, they're, they're, in a way, you could say that they're the closest thing to philosophers that we have now. I mean, we still have philosophers, but nobody listens to them. <laughs> well, Daniel Dennett's still a great one. That's true. But, uh, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I completely agree. And, and, you know, the term outsider, I think, takes on another meaning, too. Because what I was taking from it as well was it's important to have somebody outside of your realm to give you opinions uh, or to give you critiques as long as it's in a, uh, you know, in a, in a manner that's, I wouldn't say educated, but, but uh, fair, you know, you know, like I have, I have friends that can tell me about things I create and I will listen to them. If they tell me they don't like something, I will listen. I won't get upset, you know? That's that's the other side of the outsider, right? It's it's the outsider that's uh, you know in one realm they're not uh, status quo, but on a smaller level, it's the it's the the person that's listening to give you an opinion that's not the yes man, you know? Right. And that's important. Yeah. There's um there's a philosophical term they call the, uh, the charity effect. Or the charity right. something, but the the point is when you when you're arguing something with someone, you're in order to have a good conversation, um, you always try to take the most charitable uh, meaning from what the other person said, which is obviously something we don't do very well anymore as a society. But you know when somebody says this, you assume the best of what they say, and that's right. how you how you get to truth. You know by having a discussion. But you assume the best because otherwise it becomes um, an ad hominem attack. You know, sure. You're, or you're just tossing straw men back and forth. You know, yeah. oh, yeah, well, you're an asshole. And that's where it ends up. And that's kind and of... It, yeah, then it becomes the lowest common denominator, right? Yeah, it becomes Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a fantastic website called um, Farnham Street. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. I'm not. It's this guy, his name is Shane Parrish, and I don't know a lot about the history of it, but essentially the guy just writes the most concise but brilliant um, pieces and articles on thought and uh, learning and um, using your brain. Uh, there's, um, I don't know, maybe 20, 30, he's got like this twi this list of like 20 or 30 different mental models as he's written out and um, ways of, of thinking that are different and philosophy. And he wrote this 
article that just last week, I mean, it, it's probably like maybe 10 paragraphs at the most. Right. And it's called the distrust of intellectual authority, which I think we just kind of dipped into that a little bit right there. Yeah. But um, the um, he says that basically that reason, skepticism and disagreement, they're important, but we've reached a point where uh, this reaction and this um, belief that, you know, we've, we've taken that belief of the importance of the outsider, like we've been talking about too far. We've taken sure. it too far to where we say that um, because this person um, thinks that uh, the earth is flat, therefore it, it's just as valuable as the scientists who have studied for centuries that the earth is not flat and all right. of the data that we have continuous data from satellites. And I mean, if we stacked it up one day of data, we'll probably cover the whole planet. Right. Well, it, it goes back to the beginning when I was traveling down the, 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 the road of mob mentality, irony, uh, hypocrisy, all of those things. Um, you know, the same people that believe Jesus created the earth, you know, God created the earth 6,000 years ago, are the same people that use cell phones and get on airplanes and use cars, uh, check weather. You know, they, they, they check the weather every morning, right? To figure out what they're going to wear. Do they, need their, do they need their umbrella? They probably check their radar, you know, technology that was built through science. But for some reason, there's that one part of science they have uh, blocked out of their mind which is, you know, in my opinion, you know, geology, geography, geology, uh, which is, you know, the boring, in quotes, study of rocks, which I find fascinating. Uh, But we, you know, we can dig up rocks all over the planet and and show you how many millions and billions of, you know, this this planet is 4.6 billion years old. Uh, As of now, you know, we may find differently, but science will change. You know, We, we, we tend to, change our our thoughts on science as we go uh the 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 other group does not change you know the the book doesn't change right so i digress but it's exactly that right it's it's the idea that you can accept certain things within a certain discipline until it disagrees with your worldview right right and then all of a sudden nope not not for me it's like well how does that make any sense? I also know? feel like there's a sense of, you know, um, not to overly generalize, but it does seem that uh, people, for example, the flat earthers, or even if you want to go even deeper into that movement, the, the space is fake movement. Um, right. Those, those people tend to come from regions that are threatened by the oncoming of artificial intelligence. Um, hmm. I, I've, not, I've not thought about that. I wonder if there's some of that that's, you know, like science is science has no place for me. So fuck science. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, those are the people that don't understand what science has done for them. Just like, right. just like what I was saying. I mean, even the indirect influence of the, the moon landing I mean, what that did for our economy and our, in our country, uh, the morale, the gusto that it brought to our country. We landed on the, we landed on the fucking moon. As Ricky Ricky Gervais says, you know, if you create <laughs> if you create a being and they go from the the blue one to the gray one, you think you would come down and congratulate them, right? 
Right. Well, God, God did not come down and congratulate anyone. So, you know, that backs up people like us who are agnostic or atheists. But it also means that, holy shit, look what, look what, this, look what we did. You know, and, and that really gave us a, a spark. It gave our country a spark. So when you leave that shit aside, when you leave that sort of motivation aside, it's really doing you a world of hurt as a society, you know? Um, you know, the, the, the best perspective I, I always heard, and I forget, I forget, I wish I could, I could coin who said it, but I kind of, the more I've discussed it, I came up with my own like term for it. And it's basically, uh, you know, history perspective, basically, or, or, or change perspective, which is, you know, if you could clean everybody's brain today, clean slate, right? Uh, and give the human race a chance to relearn everything, right? Let's say that just, you know, in a very uh, figurative manner, everybody had to relearn what it is to exist, uh, whatever it was. What we know is that we would come up with the same scientific shit. We would probably have different names for it. Absolutely have different names for it because there's certain gentlemen or women who came up with uh, scientific discoveries. So those names would change. But you see where I'm going with this. What would change would be the religious works. Right. Those would be different. Those It'd be a different region. It'd be a different name of a god. It would be a different realm of religion, uh, different values, all that. But the science part, you're going to rediscover the same thing. You're, you're, you know, you're going to rediscover acceleration due to gravity at 9.8 meters per second squared. You're, you're, you're going to rediscover relativity. It won't be Einstein, but it'll be somebody else. But you're, you know, you're, these things are fixed. It's just who's going to discover them and what the names are. Whereas the religious part will be completely different. Right. And so, you know what I mean? And that goes back to that conversation. It's like, how dare these people try to sit there and, and claim that, uh, uh, you know, this, this book, uh, the ideas of Buddhism and Hinduism, in my opinion, would still be there because those are ideas of intrinsic uh, uh, value of being and things like that. You know, those those would still be there with a different name, but different gods, uh, you know, different 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 ways of oppressing people, basically. And yet, science would still be sitting there with the same ideas, same same exact ideas. That's that's fascinating to me. I've just started reading today. I'm only like one chapter into it, but there's this book called um, American Cosmic, and I, yeah. I I'm not I'm a skeptical uh, I'm a skeptical person, but I love reading far out stuff, just sure. because I like to force myself to continue to be open minded. Um, sure. And sometimes they're just you know it's I, it's just entertaining, and yeah. this book is um, it's it's. Basically, the whole point of this book, this woman was a, her whole life has been a, a religious researcher. Um, I don't think, it's, it doesn't sound like she's actually a religious person herself. She's just studied religion, um, yeah. and specifically Catholicism. And uh, so she's writing this book about um, UFOs, about, uh, not UFOs, sorry. UFOs do exist because it's, you know, un, all it means is it's an un, unidentified flying object. Which could mean it's from Earth, um, but she's studying si uh, the idea of aliens and the right. belief in aliens and alien life coming to Earth. And she says what she thinks that we are watching, what we are seeing now, 
is the birth of a new religion. Hmm. And I, I can't say anything more than that because all I read was the first chapter, but <laughs> holy shit, you know, like when you think about it, 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 you know, like these guys on um, Ancient Aliens or whatever, which is an entertaining show that's completely full of shit. Um, yeah, absolutely. And the, some of those guys on there are seem like the nicest people that you would love to hang out with, but they just literally interpret things wrong continually. They say things about science that aren't true. Um, you know, like, oh, yeah. there's, there's this rock wall and nobody could have built it. It's like, Yes, they could have because they did. <laughs> you know, like <Yeah>. it's there. <laughs> exactly. It, yeah. Like for my, just to go on a short tangent, my whole thing about you know disrespecting the ancients and their their abilities to do things is, <laughs> is ridiculous. Yeah. Because what yeah. people always forget is time. You know, you yeah. can build a pyramid with twenty people if you have a thousand years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Time's yeah. the biggest tool. But anyways, that, that you reminded oh, right. me of that, that idea of, you know, when you said that, you know, the religions would change. Well, we're seeing one burgeon right now. And I'm curious how this will affect, at least in the United States, will affect the religions that already exist here. Um, in particular, um, Christianity, because I think that some of the people that believe in aliens also happen, not all of them, but some of them also happen to be Christians. Well, until you can... Uh you know, take care of the power struggle. I don't think I don't think it'll ever take over. I mean, it's it, at this point, it's all about power and money. I mean, right? I mean, even even somebody like Barack Obama, who I uh, enjoyed as a president, I never felt for once he was being truthful when he said he believed in God. Right. You know, but that's because he understands, and everybody understands that you cannot, you know, unfortunately, be voted in to high office. There's there's only I think a, a handful of senators. That are self uh, self prescribed atheists, you know. Right. Uh, so, on that point, it's it, it's it's so sad and pathetic, right? That that we can't have a uh, a president of the United States. You know, Ireland has an atheist president, but it's it, it does feel like a long ways off for us. That we, you can have a president that says, "I don't believe in God. I believe in logic. I believe in uh, science." You know what? I hate even saying that. I understand science. Right. <laughs> I, I understand logic. Let me take that back. You know, it, but it's true. It's it's a, uh, you know, the majority of our country can't fathom uh, a president that doesn't believe in God. It's like, ooh, <laughs> so, you know, what blows my mind even that? more than that is that for the uh, bulk of this country, we can can't even imagine having a Jewish president. I absolutely can. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. And that's a religion that precedes Christianity. To me, it's more of a culture. <laughs> Judaism, yes. it's a, it's that's a culture, you know. I mean, shit. I mean, uh, yes, it's a religion, but it's more of a culture. It you depends, know? you know. I think it, it it shows up in both ways. You know, some people, sure, of course, yeah, yeah. You have a lot more secular Jews than you have religious Jews, at least absolutely. in America. Obviously, in Israel, it's different. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and I know a lot. You know, a lot of Jewish people I know are highly intelligent. They're the first ones to, uh, you know, if you want to talk politics, they're, they're the first ones to say, uh, "Fuck what Israel's doing right now, too." Right? So, right. That's, that, that, that's proof in the pudding that they are. They're not just going to go along with their religion just because it's their religion. It, I think there's um, there's an interesting movement in certain parts of 
of Judaism. Obviously, not an expert. I'm not a Jew. Um, But from what what I understand from documentaries and things I've seen, that there are such things as atheist Jews. Yes. Which is fascinating. It's fascinating. They see the benefits of the culture and even um, the ritual, the religious rituals. Yeah. Just don't believe that there's a God behind it. Of course. And I think that yeah, that's, I mean, that's a fascinating thing that, that gets kind of shit on a lot. Is, well, yeah, I mean, the, the, the one thing you have to, you know, think about, when you think about the Torah, right? The Torah left out the fiery brim guilt part, you know? Um, the Torah does not have, you know, the, the Old Testament basically is the Torah. And there is no, there's nothing in the Torah that says, you need to die for your sins and that there's a, there's a, there's a hell and all that. That was all the new Testament. So the Jews were never taught about the guilt thing, the, the guilt factor that, that is so ridiculous about modern Christianity. You know, uh, the idea that you're, you're a human and you're, you're automatically flawed the moment you're born. You know, it's, it, they don't have that, you know? Um, it's, it's quite, it's quite tame actually the torah you know don't get me wrong there are parts of it that i i can really disagree with yeah there's, but there's definitely parts but, of like killing your oh, enemy type stuff in there for sure of course but the whole fire brimstone um if you don't believe if you're homosexual all that shit is uh that's that's mainly new testament if i'm not mistaken that's not even in the new testament well so, uh, the, the homosexual part maybe isn't yeah, it's, it's the, all in... The, the it, Re- Re- Revelations is the, the fire brimstone New Testament part where you will burn if right. you're The book yeah. where it's quite possible that the person was on acid <laughs> when they wrote it. Or, or who knows who even wrote it. Like, come on. Yeah. Right. There's, a, there's an interesting thing in going back to the culture thing. Um, are you familiar with Michael Shermer? He's the founder of the Skeptic Society. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, he has a great podcast called Science Salon. And yeah. he had on um, the economist. I, uh, I get his emails too. His He's great. Emails. He's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I don't always agree with everything he says. That's what I love about him. He's just out sure. there um, saying yeah. things and, and testing stuff. I like people like that. I don't have to agree with people to like them. Indeed. We all need to remember that more often. Right. Um, but he had on Tyler Cowden, the economist. And basically in the interview, Cowden says that... Uh, He's an atheist himself or um, agnostic, one of the two, but he believes that uh, the lack, the, the disillusion of religious life in America is actually detrimental to it because there are things that the culture of religion provides that America is starting to lose. I've heard this argument. Fascinating. What's yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely heard this argument before. Um, fascinating to me. It is. Yeah, it is. But it's also one of those things where it reminds me of the same idea of, well, things are changing. So are we going to hold on to the past or are we going to fucking progress and move on? Um, because I don't disagree with uh, you know, those conversations. I, I've had them before. It, it, it just goes down to that. It goes down to, well, okay, are you going to fight for something that's old and, and you know, antiquated? And 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 you know, out of touch, or are you are you going to suck it up and move on? You know. Well, I think it's even. Um, there's more complexity to it than that, though. I think. Well, of there, course there is, but. Um, it, like Elaine Botan wrote a book about. I think it's called Religion for Atheists. 
Sure. And basically said, what can we learn from religions that we don't have right. to take, you know, like the idea of community centers and, you know, like churches as places where people go to meet, you know, maybe right. there doesn't have to be a deity for those things to happen. And I think that's a very powerful argument. You know, um, there's moving on and there's taking everything from the past with you. But then I think there's that middle where you take what was useful yeah. and then you forge new things at the same time, you know, like handwriting. I don't think handwriting yeah. should go away. Right. No, I agree. I don't think you should either. Uh, anyway, it's funny you bring that up too, because I, I know conservatives that are friends of mine or my family, they, it's so frustrating. They, they tend to think that's a liberal thing. The getting rid of handwriting. Uh, be, and what they always say to me is, well, the constitution was written in cursive, you know? Right. And I say, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. You know, no matter what you do, uh, you know, what you believe in or what you agree with politically or, or, or disagree with, with I, it, it blows my mind that that can be almost a side taking, uh, um, moment where you, I think most of us would understand that handwriting is a, it's a special trait, but at the same time, but, but they use it as an argument with the constitution. What I say is the constitution has been dictated outside of handwriting for, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, there's places you can go and read the constitution where it's not in handwriting. So, you know, they, they take it one step further. Well, I think um, there's, there's a lot of these talking heads that train people on these talking points. And this to be, to be clear is on every side of the political spectrum, um, because right. there are some stupid things that liberals out there are saying too, that are not true. I agree. Um, and that's, that's very frustrating as well. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's like when you, if you were to talk to a Trump supporter and you were to say, the guys, you know, I don't like him. However you want to, most people will say it more strongly than that. The response is almost always, would you have rather had Hillary, crooked Hillary? And it, right. and it's, it's, I'm not making an argument to what's right or wrong here, but what I'm saying is, that we've all been trained, and if you did it the other way around, you would you would have the same argument, I think, um, because we've been trained how to avoid the actual conversation, because that's a yeah. non sec. I mean, that's a that's a that's a no go. There's no conversation yeah. there, because what you've done is sidetrack the actual question, and into something else. We're not talking about this person, but now we are, right? And that's no, absolutely. That's yeah. very dangerous. We've lost how to communicate. Yeah, you are correct. Instead of bringing up points uh, to 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 counter in an articulate manner, you go to a spot where they know that they can't win that that question. Right. Um, yeah. So, but there's also ways to get out of that too, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. And that, that's why I think that one of the reasons I wanted to do what, like what I did with the beginning of the episode, like what's a hot button topic for you? You know, what's something that's been on your mind because sometimes we'll have, you know, like ours was, was um, complex. You know, we went back and forth yeah. a lot. We didn't agree oh, on man. everything. Yeah. And that made yeah. it so enriching for me. Right. Well, you know, and I, I learned once you, Yeah. And once you gave me that, that kind of you know, little homework assignment, it's amazing. The pathways you go down, as I said before, I'm, I'll repeat myself, but it's true. It's, you know, there's, there's buzzwords that come up and your brain, you know, you and I are probably similar where your brain goes in so many different spots, you know, mob mentality, uh, hypocrisy, irony. Um, and then that 
with you know, injunction with uh, technology and social media compared to before social media existed, all that. You know, that we, we are the, you and I are the first generation that um, lived before and with social media. You know, we're, we're the first and last. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. So we're the, la- so we, the layover. So, yeah, we remember both. And that came into in the perspective as well. You know, it was, it was just like this moment of like, okay, what, you know, what's one of the ugliest human emotions ever? And it's not an emotion, human behaviors, um, mob mentality. Well, it's obvious when you see a riot, you know, it's obvious when, you know, when the black, uh, black lives matters, uh, uh, riots went off here in the Bay area. I'm sitting there understanding that I am behind black lives matters, but I'm not, absolutely not behind a bunch of people walking down the street breaking windows of of, of stores you know right. breaking mama you know like what the where the fuck is that coming from you know where, where are we losing the plot on that you know? like you remember there was um, a, a brief moment where there was a nazi that got punched in the face and it yeah. just spread all over the internet and that yeah. was my first moment like that where i was like i don't like nazis right violence is not the yeah. answer don't get me wrong. Part of me was happy, but of course, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's all I would do. Yeah, and, and, and that it goes from the the old school physical, uh, you know, a, actual tangible behavior compared to what we're dealing with now, which we got into, which is the the digital the digital realm, and what that's turned into, and what's done to our country now, for better or for worse, you know. But um, it's fascinating. It's 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 such it's such new frontier territory, right? It really is. You know, oh yeah. Uh, There's um, like you know. I've been I've been I think I ended up down this path of studying these things because for a while there, I was really you know just trying to understand like how did how did this political situation happen and I was wrapped up in that, but I wasn't right. getting anywhere with that. And what I've learned in my time doing this, at least as far as me, I'm not worried about left or right anymore as a matter of fact i hate the binary of it because each side says where i'm like that actually makes sense you know when somebody on the right talks about economics a lot of times they sound like they're pretty correct on some things um yeah yeah but what i've realized is (laughs) it depends on who (laughs) what my real problem is and what i'm really at war with is not a political party it's the lack of conversation and lack of ability to rhetoric before you could have differences of political opinion and still yeah. eat dinner together. Yeah. That's going away. I agree. Yeah. It's polar. Everything's become so much more polarized and buzzwords and let's run with this one topic. You know, let's take one topic and just fucking run it into the ground. Uh, yeah. I, I'm completely with you. And um, the parties, the nuance is gone too. You know, like when, when, the primaries were going on. The party wasn't all, but the Republican party wasn't all behind Trump. Now they right. kind of are. Right. And then you look at the left, the left wasn't all socialists. Now they kind of are. Everybody's uh, polarizing no, more. Yeah. I wouldn't say socialist, but democratic socialists with ideas of certain, yeah, certain realms. But yeah, I hear you. But you, you know, there used to be other sides of the left, the, you know, sides of the left that, that didn't believe in socialism. Right. 
that didn't want socialist principles that believed, you know, there was a strong, strong movement in the left when the internet first came out of, um, this is a hard word to use now because it means something different, I think now, but the, a lot of the people that started the internet companies were libertarians and libertarians yep. used to be the far left. Yeah. Now they're the far right. Um, well, they, they, they claim to not land anywhere. Right. Um, but yes, I, I know what you mean. In the sense that they vote for Republicans and generally agree with them more than Democrats. And it yeah. The opposite. It, it, it depends on what they uh, favor the most. Their platform is the least government interaction and, uh, you know, restrictions, the better, right? So, Which explain like that, I support the most. <laughs> right, yeah. But sometimes you have to have the government step in, right? Right. Well, I, there's a, a really great conversation that Lam and I had in one of our episodes where we were talking about this. And, like, I, I articulated for the first time that idea for me. It was like, I don't like the government being in charge of things. I like the government has, like, a cudgel. You know, when yeah. something's fucked up or, you know, a company that's, is doing that's, something that's wrong. The, that's what the founding fathers wanted, too. You know that, right? I mean, that's... I love that idea. It's exactly what they planned on, you know? In and handwriting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in, <laughs> in cursive. cursive. Beautiful cursive. <laughs> and, oh, by the way, here's an interesting thing that, um, for anybody listening, that maybe um, likes that argument um, that was presented to Mark. I, I think it's important to point out that the scientists that have discovered the benefits of handwriting and specifically cursive are usually on the left. So the left is not anti-handwriting. <laughs> it's a very important political. No, I love that. And, and, <laughs> and I agree with you. I, I just, for some reason, I feel like I've heard that argument brought up as if, well, it's the whole, you know, you and I could probably spend 10 hours on this podcast, but, uh, the anti-education thing nowadays too is also a mind blower. Right. Uh, we, can, we can save it for next time or whatever. But, uh, I, you know, I just feel like there's, it's easier for the right to attack education nowadays. They think it's some sort of conspiracy that every college is wanting to make, uh, every student into a communist or something, you know? And, well, that's what's and, fascinating uh, about that. American that's another, book. just, that's another mob mentality thing where I'm just like, come on, you're kidding me. Well, there to, 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 to be honest, there is some truth to what they're saying in the sense that, um, so first of all, Lukanoff and, and Jonathan Haidt um, are left-leaning. Um, they consider themselves more centrist. They're not far left or far right. They're left-leaning. Um, but they, what they found was that, I don't, I'm not going to have the numbers right here, so don't hold me to these numbers, people. But there used to be, um, one of the important things in colleges was confirmation bias as far as professors yeah, of course. and that there used to be what they found was actually, a, uh, you know, if you had six liberal professors and one conservative, just having that one was enough to balance off the ideology that students were getting a good education because they could see both ends of the spectrum. Now the numbers are closer to 200 to one. Um, and what they're saying, they said like that's dangerous because they're not preparing people for the real world where the numbers are, you know, not that tilted. But the interesting thing about that book is most of the professors that are getting in trouble for things in college, for, you know, uh, for 
not giving trigger warnings or saying something that threatens the way that somebody feels or something are left-leaning professors. That this, that this, the problem is not political. What's going on in the colleges? I, the right thinks it's political. It's not political. It's actually ideological. Um, okay. Like their their argument is that. How do you know if How do you know if a professor is? How are they gauging the professors? How do you How do you know if a professor is left or right or you know what I mean by that? I mean how just, how is that How is that gauged? I'm, I'm curious. I'm not, I, don't I don't know. know. And I don't think they mentioned it in the book, so I can't really. It's I just guess. you know, Democratic. <laughs> maybe they're registered Democrat because that would be ridiculous. Uh, re- registered Republican, that'd be ridiculous. You know, I mean, maybe um, it's just for masking them. I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah. Sur- it's actually surveys, an important question. Sur- surveys, I would assume, but yeah, it's probably in all honesty, it's probably in the book, but it was probably one of the you know, when you're reading a book, there are yeah. the sentences that burn in your brain, and then there, there are 40 other ones that you just completely disappear. Of course, <laughs> that was probably in the 40. But what what's very interesting to me is that it, what they're saying is, you know, it's like it, a lot of it is coming from the way that people are parenting their children. Um, you know, like for example, the world is safer now than it was when we were growing up or any generation before. Um, that the crime rates have consistently been going down for decades. But compared to when the crime rates were high, kids are allowed to be alone less. You know, the idea of uh, in the 60s when the crime rates were high, kids were walking around by themselves. But now that the crime rates are drastically lower, it's it's considered in some places people would almost say it's a crime to let your children walk around by themselves. Sure, that, but that also goes back to, uh, you know, we we're we're able to have the, the information at a at our fingertips, and news channels have uh, resorted to, you know, absolute sensationalism, right? right. So the pedophilia so scare, the satanic whatever it is, panic. and don't get me wrong, those are all fucking absolute scares but uh they make them seem bigger than they actually are right right um same thing you know i said this podcast can go on for hours and hours (laughs) uh uh police shootings are the same thing yes i'm not taking away from any unjustified police shooting of course but the fact is is that they are so much lower than they used to be right which is actually sad because it actually means that cops used to shoot a lot more people and just get away with it now, now they can't get away with it. Now that we have, they have, uh, which I love, they have body cams, people have phones, uh, excuse me, cameras in their, you know, video cameras in their pockets, all those sort of things. So it's a good thing that we're seeing these things and we can actually talk about them and converse about them. But the idea people don't, that people don't understand is that it's actually way lower than it used to be. It's way lower. Like they, they, these are happening way less. You know, you get one yeah. in the news and it keeps getting shared and people talk yeah. about it. And then it yeah. seems like it's happening everywhere. And it's it doesn't like take, and it, and it doesn't take away from how awful that one is. Don't yes. get me wrong. Of course. It never but, should. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it gives people the illusion that, uh, they're more common now than they used to be. It's absolutely untrue. Right. So that's, that's one example. It's one example. All, all of crime in general is another example. Um, we are just, we're so, you know, we're so capable nowadays of, of, of uh, seeing everything as it happens, right? right? And so it gives us the illusion of, of what it is or is not happening. <laughs> and what ends up happening when people protect their children too much is that they, the children don't learn how to regulate their emotions on their right. own. 
So there's, right. there's parent always working them through something. They're never allowed to work through their emotions on their own. And yeah. then you set them off to college. Yeah. And they're used to being protected and they're used to being safe and they're used to not having to confront things that they don't agree with. Um, so that when they are now, they freak out and they make a big issue of it. And then school has to do something about it. So they fire the teacher. Right. Yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. it's literally it's not an ideological political thing, it's just bad psychology. <laughs> yeah, it's all cognitive cognitive skills one on one. So while they are right that there is something wrong going on in in colleges, they're just not correct necessarily about what it is. Right, indeed, and it's just yeah. as dangerous, if not more, to the left than it is to the right. Yeah, both. Because then it's just who who wins the blame game, right? Well, yeah. If you if you have you know you have like somebody like Eric um, Weinstein. I hope I said his name right. It's Weinstein. Weinstein's the guy that was the asshole. Um, Weinstein and Brett Weinstein are both professors, um, or were. Um, Brett was a, I think, a biology teacher. He's a science teacher of some sort, um, okay. and he's left leaning. So you have someone in a position of, uh, you know, some import, you know, they're a college professor that is, you know, if you're looking at it from the left point of view, um, there's somebody in a position of importance that you agree with ideologically. And now this happens. Guess what? They lose their position. Now this person that was in an important position that agreed with you is no longer there. So his opinion is no longer being shared. So the left loses. I mean, yeah, it's weird, right? I, I, I guess I just don't look at it that way, though. I, I look at you it read as that book. You really should be, be, be a good human being or don't be a good human being, right? <laughs> well, the like, thing that got yeah. in trouble for was was talking about um, the inheritance of male female in nature, right? Which I think that's why he was a biology teacher. How do you not teach biology without teaching that you know, like, there's a male frog yeah. and there's a female frog, and they're different? Yeah. <laughs> It doesn't mean that, you know, they're making any, uh, he's making any judgments on gender fluid people or anything like that. Um, But how can you not teach science without talking about that concept? Ah, Mind blowing. No idea. That's just the way it goes. And that's, that's why that book was so powerful to me because I was reading it the whole time and I'm going, oh my God, is this is real? Like this is really happening? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. All right. Well, as you said, we could go on forever. So uh, let me ask you this before we, before we part. What book no, do you think up. I should read next? What book should you read next? Oof, oof. Well, what are, you, uh, what are you feeling these days? I'm not, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I've slowed down on fiction. I, I need a good fiction book, so I'll ask you about a good fiction book. Um, what do you... Uh, on the nonfiction front, what are you what are you thinking about? Is there anything? I've been reading a lot about social media and internet and stuff like that, but then I've also been reading a lot about aliens. <laughs> 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 uh, I just finished the Mothman prophecies, which was fun. Um, okay, I'm all over the board though. I love everything. Man. Okay, have you so have you read much uh, on evolution? Like evolution, just like truly understanding evolution. No, not a ton. Okay, so I would I would get Richard Dawkins. Uh, it's not new news. This is this is probably a four or five year old book, but it's the best book in in my opinion for from him in the sense that it was it was definitely directed at people like us who 
you know, we don't have a biology degree. Uh, we're not scientists, but it's also not dumbed down too much. It's called the, uh, uh, I'm going to lose them. The greatest, the greatest game on earth, the greatest event on earth. I know what you're talking about. It's got like a okay. butterfly on the front, right? Probably. I mean, you know, him, he's a softie. Uh, <laughs> Except when he debates. Greatest show on earth. He's still soft. Great. Thank you. Greatest show on earth. But that, that's a book where, you know, even though I've read uh, many of his others, that's a book where I caught myself many, many times in the middle of it thinking, I thought I knew about uh, evolution. I didn't. And to me, evolution is important because... At the end of it, the religious right is going to keep bringing that in as an argument, right? So you better know your shit. <laughs> and it's an amazing miracle. It is. It's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not a miracle, but it's, yeah. It's, well, if you want to use the colloquial <laughs> term of miracle, sure. It is. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's, it's, an incredible, uh, it's an incredible spot that we're in that we're sitting here uh, talking through a computer that humans invented. That he, you know, these, these evolved animals that we are invented this. And yeah, all that deep, cool stuff. Um, yeah. All right. Well, before we say goodbye, do you want to tell everybody who you are, um, where they can find you, anything you want to plug? Uh, yeah, Mark Engels. I play in a band called Black Map and a band called Dredge. And uh, you can find me, M A R K. How do I spell my name, Chad? M A R K E N G L E S. Facebook, Twitter. Uh, although I'm not on Twitter much anymore, Instagram, I'm uh, at Mingles, M-E-N-G-L-E-S. Uh, yeah, new new music coming out in the next year with both Black Map and Dredge. And uh, that's about it. All right, buddy. I love you, man. Love you, too. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. You know, one of the best ways to support a podcast is to go over to the podcast app that you're using, especially if it is Apple Podcasts, and take five minutes to sit down and rate and review the show. Just give it a star rating, give it a paragraph letting people know what value you get out of the show. Because that's how we communicate to the world what this show is about if they haven't listened to it before. And it's also how we communicate to guests or possible guests what the show that is inviting them on is about and what people think of it. So please take the time to rate and review us.